Welcome to the Lorecast, where we look into the lore and the stories by which we live. I'm Dr. Craig Chalkwist, and you can find us at chalkwist.com slash podcast and at a number of other online venues. It might sound odd to start a new year with some reflections on our relationship to the dead. But this is um, January when I'm recording this, named after the god Janus, who looks in both directions, past and future. They need each other. And so as we move into a new year, I thought it might be useful to say a little bit about this topic. Um, It was prompted by a dream, and also uh, I'm going to be possibly developing a class for a young platform on the topic of making peace with the dead, Uh, particularly family who passed on. And I've done a number of classes for them on uh, classes on managing codependency, on dealing with narcissism, uh, personal myth class, and then I did a tour of Young's Black Books, which are his journals, fascinating documents. So I was talking to them recently, and they said, "You have any more classes in you?" And their idea was for me to do the Trickster, which I would love to do. I'm going to do that one uh, probably in February, but. Um, Dealing with the dead. So uh, I should give you a little background because um, in my culture, the common idea is that when you're dead, you're dead. And whether you're a religious believer in life after death or an atheist who says, well, that's it for all time, goodbye. Either way, the idea is that once you're gone, you don't have any further dealings ever from the atheist perspective and until you get to heaven from the Christian. And and then there's other religions here too, of course. Um, contrary to some opinions, we're not just a Christian country. There are many faiths represented here, many perspectives. And I'm going to go against this idea that there's nothing more to do. Um, the way this sh- often shows up psychologically is this advice that therapists give, you know, make peace with, let's say, a parent, you know, or other family member who's dying because this is your last chance to do that. No, it's not your last chance to do that. It's a good idea. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't, (laughs) but um, from where I stand, it's not your last chance. And uh, let's go into that a little bit. So when I was in my early 20s, I met up with my birth families, having grown up adoptive, and we got to talking about it on the maternal side, um, my birth mother's side, and I was talking to my aunt and my grandmother, and um, I can't remember if they brought it up or if I did. It was one of those getting to know each other talks. They were really curious about me growing up and also ways that I was like them and ways that I wasn't. And when you're meeting your birth families as an adoptee, you're in a good position to be able to sort that out. So that's what we were doing. And um, at one point, the, the whole notion came up of relationship with people who've died. And, um, 
I think it was in that conversation, this was kind of quite a few years ago, that I said, well, when people in my family die, I always dream about them. Often the moment it happens. There have been several times when someone has died when I'm asleep and I wake up and then I just stay up because I realize somebody's going to contact me as soon as they find out. Um, and then that happens. And they said, well, how, do your, how does your family feel about that, your adoptive family? And I said, oh, I've never told them. <laughs> and I didn't until I was in my 50s. Um, so it's something that they could relate to because as soon as I told them all that, they said, well, you got that from us and maybe from your dad's side too, um, your birth father's side, because we do that. We, you know, it's something that runs in the family, especially along the mother line, the maternal line. So for them, it was, um, not that big a deal. And, uh, since then I've, had all kinds of dealings with those who have passed on. I, um, when I first did a few mushroom journeys, as they're called, I used psychedelic mushrooms under uh, the conditions of um, expert guidance because I had a dream that suggested I should explore that. So I went ahead and did it. And the dead showed right up. Here we are. <laughs> and so um, that that never shocks me. Um, when I was, uh, let's see, maybe 32 or three, um, I had separated from my wife of the time and rented a room. And I had this uh, pretty scary dream of a man hanging by his neck in that room. And when I asked my landlady about it the following morning when I saw her, she just about fainted. And she said, the last tenant did hang himself in your room. And I didn't say anything about it for obvious reasons. Uh, we kept it out of the news and all that. Um, I don't know how you know that, but that was the case. you know. And if you want your money back, that's fine. And I said, why? You know, I have a roommate. That's fine. Um, so I... Um, through imagination, I, I played a little mental game and I said, you know, if you can, if you can hear me, I'm really sorry about what happened to you. And, um, I hope you don't mind me being here. I don't mind you being here. And I didn't have any further dreams. Um, I wasn't trying to banish somebody or anything like that. I just wanted a conversation and, um, that was, that was it. So I've had lots and lots of encounters like that over the years. And in terms of belief, which I think is highly overrated in our culture, especially absolute belief. Um, is it just me? You know, is it my complexes or my inner figures or what have you? Or are they really there? And, um, you know, although I've had lots of evidence over the years that they're really there and, you know, people I've been out of touch with for years, they die and then I sense it the moment it happens and then I find out later that it did happen at that moment. So, you know, lots of the anecdotal, as they call it, dismissively in science, um, anecdotal evidence for that, accounts that I've got from other people, friends, students, colleagues. <clears throat> but I, I guess the bottom line for me is I don't really care which it is. <laughs> it works either way, right? So um, here's an example of 
making peace with the dead. So uh, after my dad died, I guess about maybe a, a couple of months went by. And I had dreamed about him when he did die and then nothing for a couple of months. And um, then I had a dream in which he and I were standing about hip deep in this really colorful river, a river of many colors. And even in the dream, I was looking around thinking, this is the other world that we're in right now. And um, these fantastic boats going by and amazing things in the air and all that. And so um, at one point, he expressed some regret about things he had not done in his life, and he started weeping. So I had seen my dad cry two or three times, usually when he was drinking. In fact, now that I look back on it, I think it was always when he was drinking. <laughs> um, that's that's the only time he would let out emotions, usually. And uh, he he was violent. So we went through a lot growing up with him. My mom went through a lot. He never really addressed any of it, um, never apologized for any of it, nothing. Right. So I worked it out in therapy. Um, I did confront him about it a few times, but my idea about this is that usually if you do something like that, it can only be a small part of the whole program of healing and that it's when something... Uh, is up for you and has been for a long time something that hurts you it's it's yours now unfortunately and when you're an adult you have to tend your own healing and sometimes that means doing it without involving family members and sometimes it doesn't but so I, I handled that mostly in therapy so by the time he died we are, had a pretty decent relationship and we're in a much better place with each other so I didn't feel like I had a lot of things to work out but the dream was interesting because for most of it, I just stood next to him. We had fished once long ago, and we stood in a lake that way. And um, he just wept and wept and wept, and I just listened. I, I didn't tell him anything. I didn't intervene in any way. And in, even in the dream, I thought, this is good. This is good that he's doing this. And so I woke up, and... Um, you know, there's various ways of thinking about an, a dream time encounter like that. One is that maybe some part of me needed it. That's the obvious thing that everybody go goes to, especially the reductive people. Um, and maybe, I think it maybe did me some good to see him processing things. Um, so possibly. Um, but I'm more interested in the idea that it really was him and that he's working stuff out over there. So um, if that's the case, and I hold all of this very tentatively, um, then good on him. That's He needs to do that work. So that was some time ago, but through encounters like that and, uh, and others of lengthier import, <laughs> lengthier and heavier import, I've realized that there's actually quite a lot of work we can do with people that have passed on. So another example would be my birth mother. She never wanted to meet me. She's the only one in the family who didn't. Uh, she arranged my adoption under really strange circumstances. I won't go into all that now. I've talked about it elsewhere. But um, 
when I tried to reach out to her in my, I think it was my mid twenties, early to mid twenties. And then she, it was a flat no, um, which I heard through my relative. She wouldn't even contact me to say no. And that hurt. And so I took that into therapy and got my money's worth. <laughs> um, but still, it doesn't, um, nothing gets worked out perfectly. So when she died, uh, that was one of those deaths that uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and went, my birth mother just died. And then I just waited till my aunt contacted me and confirmed it. Um, I knew she had been ill. Um, I was in not that not that frequent contact with my aunt at that point, but I had learned some months before that she was um, she had some kind of a uh, dementia going on. Uh, she had hit her head a bunch of times. She led quite an adventurous life in some ways. She jumped out of airplanes a lot, um, traveled a lot, landed on her head a few times, and so. Uh, that's probably what did her in. So it took her about a year to show up in my dreams. And um, she asked me if I was still angry with her. And uh, that was the first time. I was surprised to be talking to her in the dreams. That was the first time. And I said, um, no, it, it took me a while, but no, I'm not. And then we had um, some long conversations after that in dream and um also during a one mushroom journey and one can all also do this through active imagination the technique that young used and gave us which is sort of a controlled daydream you know doing it in fantasy and then watching the characters come to life so that's another way and then of course journaling and things like that but in these encounters it's been important to me to let the other side speak to let these figures say what they need to say and um, work with it on that basis as though they're actually in the room and uh, it makes me laugh sometimes to think about this psychoanalytics saying that in analysis we turn ghosts into ancestors and they mean it only psychologically but you can really do that <laughs> People who haunt you, people who you didn't make peace with when they left. Well, maybe it's time to. Um, until you do, you actually kind of have one foot in the grave with them. And so it's necessary to have some kind of conversation with them, and often more than one, in order to really renegotiate the relationship. And in some cultures, death isn't the end. It doesn't mean saying goodbye permanently or... Um, severing the relationship or anything like that. It means renegotiating it so that you have a more harmonious relationship with those who've died. Not no relationship at all. I'm reminded too of um, a really pleasant and beautiful experience I had. Um, this was on one of those mushroom journeys and um, incidentally I don't do them very often and I'm not advocating them um, for them they uh they don't work for some people and you shouldn't always do that but uh, i've had a few that were really powerful and in one of them my birth father had died uh, my my dad and my birth father both died in the same year and that was a hard year and so on the journey 
a feminine presence came into the room. I wish I could see them. Some people say that they see the dead. I've never been able to do that, but I certainly feel them, whether I'm doing a journey or not. Um, I feel them in the room. And so this feminine presence showed up with an Irish accent, one of my ancestors, I guess. And she said, um, what's the matter with you? And I said, well, um, I don't think anything's the matter with me, but I feel kind of orphaned. Yeah, I just lost two fathers, and I'm, I'm feeling a bit orphaned, and, and I'm sad about that. And she said, oh, honey, you don't need to feel that way. And then all of a sudden, this, these powerful presences came into the room. It was, it's hard to describe. It was like the whole room was full. It was my living room, <laughs> like full of guests, you know. Couldn't see anybody, but I felt them, this big crowd, and I knew that it was my ancestors, some of them. And she continued and said, um, we're, we're always here for you. We're always here for you. And that was such a powerful and brief experience that after it, I never felt orphaned again. I never felt like I was just by myself. I've also done uh, actually quite a bit of work with other people around this, around making peace with the dead um, in various ways. And it's very rewarding to see how much transformation comes about on both sides of the life and death barrier. Just remarkable work is waiting to be done that way. And I think one of the best things about it is that it has such liberatory potential. It really unweighs you and sets you free to meet the future in ways that you couldn't have before. In a previous podcast, I t gave examples of talking to fictional characters in my uh, tales and novels and stories through active imagination. And when you practice it, you can get pretty good at it. Uh, some are more intense than others. But one of the most amazing things about it is when characters show up, and in this case, we're talking about the dead. When they show up and they start telling you things that you didn't expect. So it begins to answer that question, um, am I just making this up? Is this just for me? And maybe I'm just fantasizing this. And at first, maybe you just are. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the act of imagination starts that way. But if you persist and stay in it, and it deepens, it comes to the point where they start telling you things you actually didn't know. So whether we consider that our unconscious talking to us or our complexes or people who really have passed on. The effect seems to be the same. A lot of transformation, a lot of opening up of perspectives and widening of our guidance stories, our keystone stories that help us navigate through the world and come to terms with ourselves. All that gets freed up. And it's powerful work. I was um, using active imagination once at a time when I was feeling fairly down and kind of lost and um, didn't really know which direction to go in, although I had had some hints. So I wasn't totally lost, but I just wasn't motivated. I just felt down. And um, so I tried active imagination, just went into a daydreamy state and said, whoever wants to show up, please do. And an ancestral figure appeared um, a man in kilts with a bagpipe and he started playing and he said get up <laughs> get up and so I did and I danced a little and then uh, 
I got up inside myself and I went, it's time to move forward. So when we were done, I said a brief thanks to the ancestor, whoever it was that showed up, and I got busy. So that seems a good wrap for this podcast in a way of saying uh, Happy New Year. Get up and go. Thank you.